Many mighty men have fallen, we just sang. They could have stood if they'd have joined Daniel's band. I hope you're often thinking of Scripture when we sing these songs, because the Bible tells us to sing with the Spirit and to sing with the understanding. I was thinking of David, which is a different man than Daniel. But you know, when David arrived in the battlefield and the armies of Israel were facing the armies of the Philistines, the recon teams stood there and the special forces were there. The Green, Beat, the Green Beret of Israel's army stood there. The forward air controllers were there. Some of the toughest guys in the military. Airborne was there. And they didn't do anything. And you know, David, David came on the scene and he said, he looked at that un, he looked at that nine foot nine inch Philistine and he got irritated. And he said, is there not a cause? And they were, they, they were belittling him. What can you do about it? You're not in the army. Is there not a cause? And finally they hauled him to Saul because they were all afraid to do it. And David ran to meet the giant. Amen. He had a purpose firm, and he dared to make it known. Right. Are you with me on yes. how bold David was? Amen. He wasn't just saying inside, well, you know, if I was in the army, I just might try it. He said, is there not a cause? Right. Let's, have, let's be the same way. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. I would like this morning to address you about the day of worship that we use in the New Testament. Sunday, the first day of the week. The day of the New Covenant. The day that the apostles and their followers have used since resurrection morning without exception. I want to start with Galatians chapter 5. You should know that the epistle to the Galatians was committed entirely to fighting Jewish legalism, Judaizers, those who were trying to take Gentile believers back under Old Testament ceremonial law like circumcision, meats and drinks, dietary laws, Sabbath laws, keeping of feasts, annual laws, years of jubilee, years of release, all those different things. It's throughout the book of Galatians. We come to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 8. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And verse 12, I would they were even cut off which trouble you. The apostle here declares that this gospel, uh, mixing law and grace, was a devilish gospel. They had been bewitched to believe it, chapter 3 and verse 1 says. Here he says, this persuasion doesn't come from him that calls you. This persuasion isn't coming from God, it's coming from another spirit. Then in the next verse he says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. If you take any leaven in, from the Old Testament and try to mix it with grace, it leavens the whole thing. It only takes a little bit of yeast to affect a whole lump of dough. It only takes a little bit of law to ruin grace. I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. 
those false teachers that lie in wait with cunning craftiness to deceive people and take them back into a covenant that is 2,000 years dead, I would they were cut off that trouble you. Turn to Second Kings chapter 18. Second Kings chapter 18. Let me remind you of something I taught a few months ago by the providence of God. I trust His providence completely Amen. for all things. I hope you do as well. That's right. In Second Kings chapter 18, we are reading about Hezekiah. He's a 25-year-old young man, and he is intense on a revival in Israel. I hope you'll remember the Wednesday evening about three months ago. Verse 4, he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. Do you remember that lesson? Nehushtan. Oh, is it a fitting lesson for us to remind ourselves? Nehushtan. A thing of brass is what it means. He looked at that brazen serpent that had saved Israelites alive when there were fiery serpents sent from God among the people. But they were burning incense to it for another 800 years. He looked at it and called it Nehushtan. It's just a piece of brass. But those superstitious, foolish Israelites thought that it must have some residual religious value, so they're burning incense to it for another 800 years. Its value was only eight hours long. While there were fiery serpents among the people, but they kept it going for another 800 years. Sabbath keepers have been keeping their piece of brass going for an extra 2,000 years. Nehushtan! And you know what? When I preached to you, I gave you as many illustrations as I could, and one of them was Sabbath keepers, when I preached on it. Taking something from the Old Testament that it had its value back there for a different people, for a different time, that was imposed on them until the days of Reformation, to bring it forward past the days of Reformation and try to put us in bondage to it. Our answer? Nehushtan. Your calendar, idiots. Right. You know, instead of a mere piece of brass, a piece of brass, we say, your calendar idolaters. Nehushtan. Thank you, Lord, for giving us wonderful lessons of truth and wonderful principles in the Word of God with one verse. 2 Kings 18.4. Every Word of God is pure and there's value there. Let me give you another lesson from Philippians chapter 3. Philippians, the third chapter. Philippians chapter 3, the apostle had to deal with the same error. Those Jewish legalists that were trying to take Gentile believers in Philippi of Macedonia and bring them under the law of Moses. Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. 
For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And then he goes on to describe if any man could have confidence in the flesh, he could above them. But we just want those first three verses. I want verse 2. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Remember, he is opposing teachers that came out of Jerusalem and followed him around in his travels to come into Gentile churches and try to bring them under the bondage of Old Testament circumcision. Now, those of you who have taken a few clinicals in the medical profession and medical training, you should be able to understand what we're about to read here. Beware of dogs. Dogs are one of the two animals in the Bible that God describes as being cruel and perverse and dangerous. Dogs and pigs. Beware of dogs. He's talking about Jewish legalists. Don't think I'm too harsh. You humble yourself before God's words chosen by the Holy Spirit. Beware of evil workers. Their work is an evil job to try to take you Gentiles that have been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and take you back under Moses' law. Then, beware of the concision. Hmm. Concision. Cision is cutting. Con is some cutting. With cutting. Circumcision is cutting in a circle. Because if you don't do a whole circle, it's going to be very painful. For those of you that have witnessed it in your classes, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Beware of the concision. They're nothing but body mutilators. That's what concision means. Paul and the Holy Spirit are mocking those that exalted circumcision to a place that it didn't have in the New Testament. And he calls them concision. This is holy sarcasm. This is holy ridicule. This is the Lord Jesus Christ and His Gospel. And it may not be popular in some circles, but this is the Bible. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. And He ridicules the Jews by just calling them body mutilators. And He makes fun of their most famous rite. The careful cutting in a complete circle to remove the foreskin on males. Beware of the concision. I love the Bible. Do you love the Bible with me? Amen. That's the word of the Lord. Christian or Sabbatarian? What are you going to be? You can't be both. You cannot be a Christian and be a Sabbatarian. Because to be a Sabbatarian, you are leaving Christ to go back under the Old Covenant. Paul said, if you're circumcised, which was to leave Christ and go back under the Old Covenant, Christ is made of none effect to you. Galatians chapter 5. You can't be a Christian when you, when you reject the body that makes the shadow because you're in love with the shadow that is only pointing to the body that makes the shadow. Can't be a Christian and a Sabbatarian. To be a Sabbatarian means you're going back to Moses. Moses is your leader. Instead of the son being your leader, the slave is your leader. If you know Hebrews chapter three, why in the world would you choose the slave over the son? Lord have mercy upon us. You cannot be a Christian and a Sabbatarian. They don't go together. That's not me making that definition up. That's the Apostle Paul making the definition up. After talking about Moses, he says, Consider the Apostle and High Priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Not Moses. Not Aaron. 
We have a rest. And it's not that ridiculous one day a week rest. We have a rest in the finished works of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a perpetual rest because Jesus Christ ended his works and sat down. And when we believe, we end our works. And we're saved. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. Christians follow Jesus, not Moses. Turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. This is going to be simple. It won't be long. Promise. I know my promises are not worth much in this particular part of my life. But I'm promising it won't be long because it doesn't need to be long. I just want to give you a few things to think about and rejoice that you know what we're doing is right. If you read the Old Testament, you're going to run into the word Sabbath quite a few times. You're going to run into the fact that the Lord was pretty serious about the Sabbath a few times. You're going to find out that the reason they stayed 70 years in Babylon was this. You don't want to keep my weekly Sabbath? Then I'm going to help the land keep a Sabbath of seven zero years while I take you captive into Babylon. That's why at 70 years in Babylon, the land was fallow. The land was not plowed. The land was not sown. The land was at rest. For 70 years. Numbers 15. Do you remember the man that went out and presumptuously picked up sticks on the Sabbath day? They put him in hold because they didn't know what to do with them because they hadn't had a Sabbath commandment before. Oh yes, the Bible's sweet. They didn't know what to do with them. Why didn't they know what to do with them? If the Sabbath had been preached ever since God opened up Genesis chapter 2. They put him in a little detention center. Lord, what do we do? Stone him to death. He presumptuously went out and picked up sticks on the Sabbath day. So they stoned him to death. The Lord's serious about the seventh day for Israel. The Lord was serious about the seventh day until the time of Reformation when we got a better day. Built on better promises and thank you for your prayer, brother. With a better hope and a better covenant. We have it all in the New Testament. John chapter 1 verse 17. The law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. If you leave Jesus to go back to Moses, you're choosing law over grace and truth. There's much more that can be said about law, but I'm not going to clutter simple minds. And I don't mean that derogatorily today. A study will be coming on the law of God. When it was instituted, the different kinds of it. What was nailed to the cross? What was paid for? What was fulfilled? What, What remains? What was in existence before Moses? Because there's national laws, there's judicial laws, there's dietary laws, there's hygienic laws, there's moral laws. Some were ancient as Adam and Noah. Some were Moses from Mount Sinai only. Some were abolished, some were maintained, some Paul brought forward, some Paul left back there. And Paul said there are a whole lot of people that are professing themselves to be teachers of the law who do not know what they are affirming. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 it says the law wasn't made for a righteous man. The law was made for manslayers and woman slayers and haters and cursers of mothers. Right. That's what the law was for, to keep society from killing each other. Amen. We live on a higher law. Do you know what the higher law is? It's two commandments, the love of God and the love of neighbor. Right. That's pretty simple, isn't it? You don't have to worry about killing somebody. Paul said this in Romans chapter 13, 8 through 10. You don't have to worry about the commandment, thou shalt not kill if you're loving your neighbor, because when you're loving your neighbor, you don't really think about killing him very often. You don't have to worry about committing adultery with your neighbor's wife when you love your neighbor properly, because you wouldn't want to take advantage of your neighbor that way. That's right. Oh, I love that. That's a pretty simple 
pretty simple system of religion. But I want you to notice very quickly that we don't want to leave Moses, we don't want to leave Jesus to go to Moses because when we leave Jesus to go to Moses, we leave grace and truth to go to law. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus Christ told the woman of Samaria? Woman, your people don't know what you're worshiping and they're really not worshiping the truth in Jerusalem because God is seeking worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Religion was going inside. It was no longer going to be temple, altars, incense, uh, show, table of showbread, priests with robes, it was going inside. Spiritual religion. That's what it means when it says spirit and truth. It is not Holy Spirit and truth. It is spirit and truth. Internal religion. This is the difference right here. You leave Jesus to go to Moses, you're leaving a spiritual religion for a carnal religion. And the Bible says that about ten times. They're opposite. Carnal means the opposite is spiritual. It's fleshly. It's worldly. It's called a worldly sanctuary that Moses had. Do you know those words from the Bible? It's called a worldly sanctuary because it was a worldly religion, which is why Paul said that the rules of the Old Testament were the elements of the world and the rudiments of the world. Do you know what elements are? Don't, don't quote me from chemistry class, but do you know what elements are? Elementary aspects of a thing. The elementary aspects of God's religion was what was taught under the Old Testament. And they're of this world. Because they were worldly things. You can't eat, you can't touch, you can't do this, don't touch a dead body. Oh, do you know how many? About 718. That's a lot. Rudimentary aspects of God's worship was the Old Testament. And they were worldly aspects. Because they were carnal and sensually related. They were things you touched and did and smelled and heard. In the New Testament, it's an internal religion of loving the Lord our God, where His laws are written on our hearts and in our minds. We're regenerated. The circumcision is right here in our hearts and in our spirit. Paul is our final authority. Brethren, do you know that the Apostle Paul is our man? Do you know that God raised up a pretty zealous man to be our Apostle? Look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. So many verses could be raised on this and the other points. They've been raised in a printed outline, but I'll give you a few. We want to be thankful for our brother Paul. He's not our Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. But the Lord Jesus Christ looked high and low throughout this world, and he found a man that we could call respectfully the the Energizer Bunny. Or whatever that little bunny is. I don't watch enough TV. Is it the Energizer Bunny? Just goes and goes and goes. You know, the Lord just picked Paul up, gave him a little shaking, put him back down, and he took off. Have you read about it? He was three days in Damascus, and as soon as he got his sight back and a sub sandwich, what did he do? I don't say that disrespectfully. As soon as he got some meat in his belly and his eyesight was right, where did he go? He went into the synagogue, and what did he say? I'm here to take you Christians to jail. I'm here to make Christians out of all of you. Now open your Bibles, and I'm going to show you that Jesus is the Christ. Paul's our apostle. He was a. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 15. This is the Lord telling Ananias what he was going to do with Paul, what he was going to do with Saul of Tarsus. Verse 15, the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. Don't be afraid of him, Ananias. I know he's had a bad rap in the past because he was a bad man. But go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And he suffered. 
His resume looks terrible in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and he did it for you and for me. He got the gospel to the Gentiles, and it made its way north into Europe, and it made its way across the Atlantic Ocean. It was planted on the North American continent, and we have heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because of Paul. He was the apostle of the Gentiles to get it all started. Look at 15.12 in the book of Acts. Acts 15.12, they're at the council in Jerusalem. And it's time for Paul to tell his stuff. Peter has spoken and told about opening the door of the gospel to Cornelius. Verse 12, then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. If you read verse 3, it will tell you that the people that heard that story, it caused great joy unto all the brethren when they heard how successful the Apostle Paul had been with God's blessing upon him. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. Where did Paul learn his gospel? Did he company with the Lord Jesus Christ for Jesus Christ three and a half years on earth? He did not. He wasn't part of the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John crowd that was with the Lord Jesus Christ. So where did he learn what he teaches? What seminary did he go to? The Arabian Seminary in the desert. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. But I certify you, brethren. This is where he's fighting those Jewish legalists who all had seminary degrees out of Jerusalem. But I certify you, brethren that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Paul speaks, Jesus Christ is speaking. And you need to know that. He magnified his office. He said, I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify mine office. God made me a special apostle to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Thank you, Lord, for Paul. We can look at so many other places, but when Paul says, let no man judge you about a Sabbath day, that's not because he didn't like the law of Moses. It's because Jesus Christ told him to say that. You know, when Jesus Christ ascended in Matthew 28, he told his apostles, there were 11 of them at that particular place. There were 11, and he said, go ye and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Well, Paul wasn't there. Saul of Tarsus was not in that assembly. So the Lord taught Paul separately. And he taught the things, all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And one of them was to keep the first day of the week and not keep the seventh day of the week. Because Jesus taught him personally. So when we find anything that Paul is teaching us, we want to know that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2. Paul condemned Sabbatarians in the Sabbath. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 2. He said, in verse 16, these are a few verses that you'll want to remember. I hope they just sink into your soul. And you say, it's so simple, it's so plain, it's so clear. It should be. Christians have worshipped on the first day of the week since resurrection morning. Colossians 2.16, let no man... Therefore, judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. Right. 
Let me quickly point out a few words in these two verses. Let no man. Do you know how he starts off the book of Galatians? If any man or an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Let no man. Let no man therefore. Oh, there's a therefore there. So what's the therefore therefore? Let's back up to verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. These Old Testament rituals of meat, drink, holy days, new moons, and Sabbath days, Jesus Christ had nailed to the cross. Those ceremonial aspects of Moses' law were blotted out by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know about this because of Ephesians chapter 2 that tells us, Any commandments that made a difference between Jew and Gentile are gone. Just, I'm getting ahead of, it's coming. Matthew, be patient, brother. He's about as patient as I am. That isn't good for either of us. Any law that made a distinction between Jew and Gentile has been blotted out by the blood of Christ. Because he made one body out of those two separate nations so that they are one. Now, I hope you know Ephesians chapter 2 well enough that I don't have to turn you there. But it's saying the same thing right here. The the ordinances that were contrary to us, he took out of the way, nailing them to his cross. And because he did that, let no man therefore judge you in respect of these things that were nailed to the cross of Calvary and ended at the cross. As far as any requirement, any distinction between Jew and Gentile. Though the two covenants kept running side by side for another 40 years. Those that were weak could still go ahead and keep some of those things as Jews, but they couldn't make them binding on Gentiles ever, not even once. Let no man therefore judge you. Judge you. That means to condemn you or put a burden of obligation upon you that you have to keep any of these things. Because you don't have to keep any of these things, Gentiles. And when we think about the council at Jerusalem, we know that. Because the council at Jerusalem only came up with things outside of this list. Just little matters of liberty that they wanted the apostles, that they wanted the Gentiles to keep, to keep Jews from being offended with them. But we'll come to that in a moment. Let no man therefore judge you, meat, drink, respective and holy day. You know, the, the Old Testament had meat, meat laws. You could eat certain kinds of meat. You know, you could eat beef, but you couldn't eat pork. Had meat laws and drink laws and holy day laws. Pentecost, Passover, special holy days, the new moon, when the new moon would appear, out comes a trumpet, out comes a special sacrifice in in the Mosaic Levitical order of things. And then the Sabbath days, seventh day of the week. Don't let any man put those as an obligation upon you because you are free from them. They were nailed to the cross of Calvary. Verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come. Those things, especially the Sabbath days that are left, that are last, and that are plural, those things are a shadow of things to come. Not things to come to Paul, things to come from the shadow. You say, how do you know that? By going to Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5, Hebrews 9 and verse 11, and Hebrews 10 and verse 1, all three places which tell us about the shadow, its reality was already here, and this verse tells us that if you'll read the whole thing. Because it says, but the body is of Christ. The body is of Christ. We think of the body of Christ as a church. We think of the body of Christ as our physical body. But the body here is just a, just any old body that makes a shadow. 
The body that makes the shadow is Christ. There's a shadow on the ground. And this shadow is pushing, is looking forward. You know, it says are, which are. He doesn't say which were, he says which are, because the Sabbath days were still being kept by the Jews when Paul wrote this. Which are, by their nature, they have been, they are, and they will be until they're finally abolished, looking forward. Looking forward. What are they looking forward to? Well, you've got the shadow, so you look for what image is there that's making that shadow? What is the body? Is it a body of marble? Is it a body of granite? Is it a body of a person? Is it the body of an automobile? What is making that shadow that is looking forward to the reality, the substance, the truth of the matter? And what is that? Reality, substance, and truth? Christ. Amen. Jesus. Right. The Sabbath, look forward to Jesus. The Sabbath means rest. What rest is there in Jesus? The rest of Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. He finished the works of redemption and sat down. And that's our rest. That's what the Sabbath was for. It was just a shadow. Would you be content if you were in love with someone just to have their shadow? No. What, what kind of details can you get out of a shadow? Right. Do you like their eye color in a shadow? Do you like the, the sheen of their hair in a shadow? A shadow is nothing. And that's why you can't be a Christian and a Sabbatarian. Because you're leaving Christ to go back to a shadow. I hope you see it so plainly. I hope they understand the verse. This is the nature of the Old Testament Sabbath days. They were a shadow on the ground looking forward and the body was Christ. It was looking forward to Christ's finished works of redemption. Because Hebrews 4, 1 through 11 tells us that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Paul. Is this what Jesus taught Paul? Amen. Okay, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Do you know what Jesus had nailed all those ordinances to the cross? Do you know what we would be called? Aliens. Right. You'd be an alien, Matthew. I'd be an alien. Strangers from the covenants of promise. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who are far off are made... Nigh by what? Amen. The blood of Christ right. that put it out that the, that blotted out those handwriting of ordinances Amen. that was against us. Now we're fellow citizens with the saints. Moses and I are an arm in arm. He's in heaven worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here on earth. But believe me, Moses has advanced. He passed. The school teacher had him for forty years, and then he passed, and he got to go on to better things. Amen. Do you know all these verses? Folks, do you know all these verses? The law was our schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. And as soon as we come to Christ, guess what? You've graduated. Bye-bye, teach. That's exactly what Paul reasoned in Galatians 3. I'm not trying to mock the Word of God. I'm trying to mock Nehushtan. Do you love that? The law was our schoolmaster. We didn't have to go to the schoolmaster, though, did we? We were born in the New Covenant. We heard the Gospel preached to us. We are so blessed. But once you graduate, you don't need the schoolmaster. Galatians chapter 4, verse 10. No, let's get verse 9. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days, and months, and times, and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. If you go back and start keeping Moses' days, 
Okay, how do we know it's Moses' days? Is there a word that starts with C that's important when we study any written document? What is the word that starts with C that's important in any written document? Context. Context is our master and we are its slave. Don't you ever forget context. What's the context of the epistle of Galatians? Jewish legalism from cover to cover of that book. And especially in chapter 4. Look at verse 3. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Is that what we had there in verse 9? Weak and beggarly elements. Elements of the world. But... We have verse 4, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. The elements that we're talking about, the earthly, worldly elements, are the elements of the law, the elementary aspects of God's religion of the Old Testament. These Gentiles had been converted out of paganism. They had they'd embraced the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and here they were being ruined by teachers that had come out of Jerusalem, going to put them under another system of rule-keeping that would put them in bondage again. Why in the world are you Gentiles going back to bondage of keeping rules like days and months and stuff? Why are you doing that? I fear that my labor has been bestowed in vain. Your conversions are in vain. You've lost Christ. You've fallen from grace. This is the Apostle Paul. This is what Jesus Christ taught him. This is the gospel of the New Testament. Don't you keep days. Don't you keep times. Don't you keep... And these are Jewish days. Jewish times. Jewish years. What religion has years? I'll tell you one that does. What happened every... Seven years. Was there a year of release in Israel every seven years? Was there, a, was there an extra special year of release every seven times seven years? And it was called Jubilee. Jubilee. Oh, they had the years. They had it all. More, much more could be said. Much more has been said. Much more is available to you in a written outline. But I hope you understand Galatians chapter 4. These are not pagan days. That wasn't the issue with the Galatians. Nowhere, nowhere in this whole book does Paul say that they're having a problem with going back and worshiping Baal. Their problem is going back under commandment keeping of the Old Testament. This is what Paul taught. Paul condemned Sabbatarians and the Sabbath keeping. Two passages. Thank you, Lord. So clear, so plain. But he exalted the first day of the week. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. We're going by Paul. We're Pauline Christians. We're Pauline apostolic Christians. Some of our ancestors in the faith have been called derogatory names, associating them with Paul, because we're so much committed to the Apostle Paul. Because Paul was the Apostle of the Gentiles. And if you're a Gentile, which Apostle should you read first? Which Apostle should you read most? And which Apostle should you read last? Paul. He's your Apostle. He said, be ye followers of me as I am a follower of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16. He says, the things that ye have heard of me and seen in me, do. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9. Paul is the standard for holy living and the lifestyle of a Christian Gentile. Paul. If you can't establish it from Paul, it's not a New Testament practice for a Gentile Christian. If you're hunting and searching in David and Isaiah to come up with something for a New Testament Christian, you are so far off. It's so easy. 
We are New Testament Christians. That means the New Testament is more important than the Old. That means the New Testament are our spectacles to interpret the Old. We have the New Covenant. Do you know what that makes the Old Testament? Old. Do you know when something is old you're supposed to do with it? Throw it away. Amen. That is Paul's argument in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 13. In that he saith a new covenant, he's arguing from one three-letter word. Do you, do, you believe, do you think that it's important that men don't write paraphrases of the Bible? Do you think we need every word of God? Yes. In that he saith new, he hath made the first old. In that it's made old, it's ready to vanish away. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints. As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. The religious service of giving to the Lord, giving to poor saints, giving to the work of the ministry, was done on the first day of the week. Out of the whole week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, or Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, however you want to word them, out of the seven days of the week, Paul ordered the churches of the Gentiles to use the first day of the week for their religious exercises. When a Gentile would be in a fellowship of saints, in the Spirit, having the gospel preached to him, he would be most blessed to give the best. And they were. Look at the order. As I have ordered the churches of Galatia, so do ye. This is not a suggestion. This is not a matter of liberty. This is an order from the Apostle Paul. And if it's an order from the Apostle Paul, then it's an order from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The only way that you can get around a verse like that is to gainsay it. Is to retort against it is to fight against it. There is no positive statement made in the book of Acts forward, because that's after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, about the Sabbath. Not one. Not anywhere. Right. No positive statement about the Sabbath. Several positive statements about the first day of the week. Only condemnation about the Sabbath. And I've just taken you to them. But now we have an order to keep the first day of the week for our religious exercise. No, he doesn't say assembly there. He doesn't need to. They've been, they've been assembling on the first day of the week since the resurrection. Right. Including the day of Pentecost. Including the next passage we're going to go to. Including the Lord Jesus Christ the first day that he rose from the dead. Amen. It's an order. We say, Paul made the order, we're going to do it. Right. It's that simple. He's our apostle, we're going to do it. We don't care what Isaiah said. Let me tell you something about Isaiah. I love Isaiah. Okay? You love Isaiah. Yep. Isaiah's in heaven. We're going to get up there and we're going to love Isaiah. He didn't have a clue. Don't be offended. He didn't have a clue. Why would you quote a man that doesn't have a clue? Can I prove that with a Bible? Where would I go? Somebody make me very happy. I'll make you happy. Uh, I'm sorry. First Peter 1, 10 through 12. If you've got one in Isaiah, I want to hear about it afterwards. There might be. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 tells us about the Old Testament prophets, including Isaiah, that they did not know what or what manner of things they were talking about when they described the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the glory that should follow. It says that. 
Isaiah didn't know anything about New Testament worship. Why in the world would you quote anything from Isaiah about New Testament worship? If you want to get a principle from Isaiah, if you want to try to get the Sabbath from Isaiah, you're barking up the wrong tree. That Sabbath was only for the, until the time of Reformation. We go to Paul, and Paul gives us an order. He doesn't care what Isaiah said to the Old Testament. He's the New Testament apostle to the Gentiles. I hope that is all... I'm not trying to run Isaiah down. Isaiah has his place. We love Isaiah. Don't you get blessed when you read Isaiah 40 through 50? Those are some of the most precious chapters in the Bible. But what do we get out of them? The greatness and the glory of God and His judgment of sinners. And the fact that he couldn't find any other God, and beside him there is no Savior. We rejoice in things like that. It doesn't tell us about bishops and deacons and how to run a New Testament church with baptism by immersion and the Lord's Supper. Because he didn't have a clue about those things. Right. He'd never even heard of them. He'd never even imagined them. Right. Same with David. David didn't know how we were going to worship. All he was worried about is how much more brass, iron, silver, and gold can I amass for my son to build a beautiful temple. Guess where the temple is right now? You're sitting in it. Guess where the second temple is right now for God's presence? You're sitting. It's you. Worship has changed so much from what David was so... David was obsessed about collecting stuff for the temple, and we love David for that. But that's David. He didn't have a clue about our form of worship. Our form of worship is better. Much better. The Lord loves this kind of worship. It says God is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And what did He mean by that? He said, the day is coming very soon, Jesus said, when they're not going to be doing it in Jerusalem because I'm going to rip that temple to the ground. Am I? Amen. That's right. Can we do this for ten hours? There's so much. There's so much in the Bible on this subject. Thank you, Lord, for making it so simple. I love things that are simple. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Let's see Paul honor the first day of the week. Now remember, I'm going to say something again. From Acts on. From Acts on, the Bible only condemns the Sabbath. Only commends the first day of the week. And commands the first day of the week. What more do you need? What were you looking for? If he only condemns the Sabbath, and he only commands and commends the first day of the week, isn't that enough? I don't care what Isaiah said about the Sabbath. Isaiah was a minister under an entirely different economy. Isn't it enough? For Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles, to tell us how to worship? We're sorry, Seventh-day Adventists. We're sorry that little neurotic woman named Ellen Harmon White... Go read about her if you think I'm being unkind to her. Go read about her. Punch it in. Ellen Harmon, Seventh-day Adventist. Ellen G. White, Seventh-day Adventist. And her imitators that have followed her ever since. She had a vision. Maybe one of the visions that she had when she was lying on the floor kicking like she was in an epileptic seizure. Go read about her. She had a vision. The Lord took her up to heaven. There was the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, she's so in love with the Old Testament. I don't want the Ark of the Covenant. I want the Covenant. Amen. The Everlasting Covenant. She went up there, opened the lid up, looked inside. There's the two tables of stone. But the fourth commandment was highlighted. I didn't know they had highlights in heaven. But she saw highlights in 1840. 
You can. Yes, I'm mocking it. Now, Hushton. Amen. What's one of our rules for measuring a cult? If they claim to have an apostle or a prophet, they're a cult and they're not Christian. The Seventh-day Adventists have a prophetess named Ellen Harmon White. White's her married name. Harmon's her maiden name. She had a vision. I have a vision. You know how I get my vision? I open my eyes and turn the, open my Bible and look at black print on white pages, and my vision tells me the first day of the week is the, is the anointed day for New Testament worship. Acts chapter 20. Here's the Apostle Paul on his way back to Jerusalem. And it's describing his progression through various towns. And it comes to verse 6. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days. Took him five days to get to Troas. Where we abode seven days. Neat little fact. We abode there seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Were those people off work all day so that they could be to a preaching service that lasted all day and all night? Does it tell us that in these two verses? It does. Was Paul there an entire week, including a Saturday, which is their so-called Sabbath? Why doesn't it say anything about that day? Why didn't he preach to them on that day? Why didn't they assemble on that day? Why didn't they break bread on that day? Somebody help me with the name right now. This, the man to print the Bible in English. Not John, not John Wycliffe. He's the first one to... William Tyndale, thank you. William Tyndale. I'm sorry that I took so long, but I just had a mind freeze up. Yeah, it happens. William Tyndale. Do you know what he said about the Bible? I'm going to print this Bible, and I'm going to print it so cheap that every plowboy in England is going to know the Word of God better than the local right. bishop. And when he said bishop, it was the bishop of the Church of England and bishop of the Roman Catholic Church. That's right. When I get done printing the Bible, I'll make every plowboy in England know more than the bishops. Do you know how simple this is? Acts 20 and verse 6, he was there for seven days. Why is that in there? The Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit wants you to know that he was there on the Sabbath day and didn't do anything. Except to work. Okay, now that leads us to another point. The commandment to keep the Sabbath has two parts to it. One is, thou shalt do no work on the seventh day. But what's the other half of it? You have to work six. So if these people are sitting there all day under the preaching of the gospel on the first day of the week, then there's two sins in this passage for Sabbatarians, right? Because right. they're not keeping the Sabbath for their assembly, and they're off work on the first day of the week. <laughs> Just a little sidelight. I mean, the real issue is it's the first day of the week, and it says when. When we have that little clause introduced by when, that was their customary habit to get together on the first day of the week to break bread. And when a church comes together to break bread, it's not breaking bread and eating meat from house to house. That is the Lord's Supper. It's called breaking of bread. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is the word of the Lord to us. It's easy to understand. We can be thankful for it. Turn to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31. This, this is an important point. This I love. I, oh, I love all the rest, too. But I want you to grab this one. The Seventh-day Adventists and others believe that the Sabbath is a perpetual commandment from when God created all the way into heaven. 
Always. All races of men, all nationalities of men, all dispensations, the Sabbath stands. They are so serious and so idolatrous of this day that Seventh-day Adventists say that if we worship on Sunday like we are right now, we are sun worshipers and we have taken the mark of the beast. We have taken the mark of the beast by being in this assembly on this day that's dedicated to sun worship. Well, I don't know how they get away with their Saturn worship on Saturday, but somehow they think they do. You know, if they can accuse us of sun worship for Sunday, they're worshiping Saturn on Saturday. Who cares what the name is, the day is called? We don't do a single thing related to the sun. It's entirely different from Christmas and Easter where all the customs and habits and traditions of those two days have to do with pagan religion. There's nothing pagan about our pews. There's nothing pagan about our pulpit. There's nothing pagan about our Bible. There's nothing, I hope, pagan about my suit. Please, I want to show you that the Sabbath was a special one-day-a-week rest given to Israel only as a special sign between him and the nation of Israel only for the hard labor they had done in Egypt. It is beautiful. Noah didn't keep the Sabbath day. He never got the ark built. Are you kidding? Yeah, Pharaoh gave them the Sabbath day off in Egypt. Tell me about it. Yeah, you know, you guys only need to work six days a week. I don't want to, I don't want you to break the Sabbath. Because God sanctified that Sabbath day. So you Israelites can have, are you kidding? Watch. We're going to turn to a few passages because I just want to bury you with it. I, I just want you to rejoice that God has made something so simple. Nobody ever kept the Sabbath before Mount Sinai. They had never heard of it. Moses brought it down from Mount Sinai. And explain it to the people because it was a special gift to them. Because they had just come out of Egypt. Exodus chapter 31, verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily, my Sabbaths ye shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. This is a special sign. It's a covenant. It's a deal. It's a special day between you and me. You as a nation, Israel's supposed to keep it. It's to you as a special people. If you're asking me about, it says it's a perpetual covenant, and it said it's forever. Yes. And so does it say the same thing about circumcision, and it says the same thing about the land, and it says the same thing about other ceremonial laws of the Jews. Because they were forever, and they were perpetual as long as Israel lived up to the conditions of the covenant, because that covenant was conditional. 
It wasn't unconditional like the covenant we're part of. Did God ever rip them off the land? Well, then how could they have the land for perpetual inheritance? Because it was conditional. Let me give you one more way we can understand it. Is there a perpetual Sabbath for the people of God? Yes, it's in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we, do we apply that to the land? When God said you're going to have the land forever, we understand. Abraham told us that he was looking for heaven. Either way, we've got it. That forever or perpetual does not mean it's still applying to Gentiles in the New Testament whatsoever. If it is, then we've got to be circumcised. Because circumcision was a perpetual covenant. That's, okay, that's one passage about the fact that nobody else ever celebrated it because it was for the Jews only. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Time's short. Let's go on to Nehemiah 9. Deuteronomy is okay, but Nehemiah is better. Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 13. Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai. You got the event in mind? God giving the tables of stone, the the passage we just read. Here's Nehemiah describing it. Nehemiah 9, 13. Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai, and spakest with them from heaven, and gavest them right judgments and true laws, good statutes and commandments. I hear a lot of pages turning. Should we take a review right now? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I hear a lot of... I want you to see it. Remember? I want you to have a vision, because I'm having a vision up here. I'm having a vision of black letters on white paper telling me that the Sabbath was for the nation of Israel only, and I want you to have that vision. Let's, let's go again. Nehemiah 9.13 Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai, and spakest with them from heaven, and gavest them right judgments and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and madest known unto them thy holy Sabbath. What's that worth to you? Would you drop a hundred bucks for that phrase? And madest known unto them thy holy Sabbath, and commandest them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses thy servant. All those dietary laws, hygienic laws, judicial laws, national laws, debt laws, money laws, manslaughter laws, Sabbath laws. You made known to them. They didn't know the Sabbath. They'd never heard about it. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob hadn't taught them the Sabbath because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob hadn't heard about the Sabbath. Moses brought it down from Mount Sinai. Do you see that? That's worth a lot of money. Do you want a course in refuting Seventh-day Adventists? You're getting it. Get a vision. Let's, go to, let's, let's see if we can get another vision. How about Ezekiel chapter 20? You say, that's way over in Ezekiel. They're still saying the same thing? Yes, they are. They're saying it better. Ezekiel chapter 20. Oh, Lord, we love thy truth. If it were not for your grace, we wouldn't see it. We'd be worshiping with the best of the Sabbatarians. We could be Ellen G. White. If it were not for your grace, we could be worse than Ellen G. White. If it were not for your grace, it's your word, it's your grace, it's your spirit, and we thank you for all of them. We are nothing, but we will not apologize for the truth. Nor will we be kind to Judaizers when the Bible says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. We won't be kind to their idea of the Sabbath when the Bible says, Nehushtan. Ezekiel 20, verse 12. Moreover, this is the Lord speaking, Moreover also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, 
that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. Verse 20, same chapter. I taught them, I am the Lord your God. Verse 19, I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes, keep my judgments and do them. And hallow my Sabbaths. And they shall be a sign between me and you, that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. Worshiping on Saturday was a special sign between God and the nation of Israel. Before the nation of Israel, no one kept the Sabbath. No one knew about it. It was revealed from Mount Sinai. After the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead and said, Your house is left unto you desolate. And then that nation was forsaken. And the gospel went to the Gentiles. It wasn't celebrated again. Because it was for those people. There's no mystery about the seventh day. God could have created in seven seconds. You don't think he needed... You think he needed six days, then he got tired and rested the seventh day? Who wrote those words in Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3, about God working six days and resting the seventh? Moses wrote those words. What, from what perspective did he write those words? From a Mount Sinai perspective. God didn't need six days to work. Do you think it really wore him out on the first day? No. No. He did that for the sake of Israel. And Moses just tells them about it very quickly and goes on. Do you know there's a lot of worship in the book of Genesis? Does it tell about Abraham building an altar to the Lord? Isaac? Jacob? A lot of worship going on in the New Testament? Sacrifices being made? Men being punished for not worshiping God correctly? Is that happening in the book of Genesis? No mention of Sabbath whatsoever. You know why? Because we hadn't got to Exodus yet. Because it came down from Mount Sinai. Uh, it's too long of a passage to read. In Exodus 16, first day of the mammon, I mean, first day of manna. When the manna fell, they didn't know what to do. They did not know what to do. They got confused. Someone up, they went out there on the seventh day and couldn't find any. <laughs> they had to go hungry that day because they hadn't got enough the day before. They didn't know what was going on. Why didn't they know what was going on? Why didn't they know that they weren't going to have that they weren't going to be out there gathering manna on the seventh day, that the Lord would give enough on the sixth day. Why did that surprise them, even when God told them? Because they had never seen a Sabbath before. They had never kept a Sabbath before. Who abolished the Sabbath? The Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If you read the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, did Jesus keep the Sabbath? More than once? Every Sabbath day? Yes. Why? He was born a Jew? Under the laws of the Jews, in the nation of the Jews, to fulfill the law. God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. Don't you go to Jesus. Go to Paul. Oh, when I say that, I fear. Don't anybody misunderstand me. Go to Paul, who follows Jesus the way we're supposed to. Was Jesus circumcised the eighth day according to the law of Moses? Do we need to be circumcised the eighth day according to the law of Moses? No. Did Jesus say that we're supposed to obey the Pharisees that sit in Moses' seat, Matthew 23, 3? Yep. Yes, he did. Are you going to look for a local Sanhedrin to look up some Pharisees and obey them? I'm not. We have a whole document on the website called Jesus or Paul. Which one do you want? Right. We want Paul. Because Jesus did a whole lot of things that were Jewish. He was called a minister of the circumcision. Paul's the minister of the uncircumcision. We follow Paul because Paul was taught directly by Jesus Christ who took... What the religion of Jesus and gave it to Gentiles without any of that ceremonial trapping of the law of Moses. The Lord Jesus Christ abolished it. Amen. When did he abolish it? After his resurrection. 
He appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to Simon Peter. And then the apostles were assembled in an upper room with the door locked for fear of the Jews. Guess who appeared in their midst? That church service got better. Because the Lord Jesus Christ arrived. He blessed them with peace. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. He gave them their apostolic charge of the job that they were going to do for him in this world. All on the first day of the week. And the Bible wants you to know that. In John chapter 20 and verse 19, that it was the first day of the week. Do you know what else happened that day? I want to talk about that first day of the week. The first Sunday worship service. The apostles were in a room with the door locked for fear of the Jews. Boom! Jesus was in the midst of them. Peace. I'm alive. I'm alive. Is there a song named He's Alive? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I like that song. He's alive. I'm forgiven. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Do you know what else happened that day? Just, I just want to throw this in. The first day of the week. Only one time is this mentioned in the Bible in one little verse. When Jesus died on the cross and said it is finished, was there an earthquake that tore rocks and rent mountains? What did it do to cemeteries? Be very careful. It opened the graves. Well, those grave diggers were unhappy. All these graves open. What Did anything happen that day other than that? Temple Veil, vale, but I'm talking about cemeteries. Nothing else happened that day. Next day? Next day? What about the first day of the week? Was there any residual power to our Lord's resurrection? Amen. Was there some leftovers yes. to the power of God raising Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Do you know what? David, Moses, Noah, and others popped up, came on into Jerusalem. Who's there? Noah. What? Noah. Praise the Lord. Don't look at me like I'm telling you something you've never heard before. There's just one verse in the Bible about it. I can't tell you any more than that. It just gets me excited. Do you know when it happened? On the first day of the week. Do you know why it was in the first day of the week? The residual power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now when you die, or you have a relative die, and you're wondering if God's able to raise them from the dead, let me tell you that God can raise them from the dead. Power? He's got leftover power. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first day of the week. I've already read to you about the Sabbath, what happened at Pentecost. That was the first day of the week. One last point. Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. We don't need to be long. It's too simple. I've covered 10 or 15 arguments out of a 65-point outline. You can look at it later. There'll be more before I send it. The Lord showed me another one this morning, but it's just precious. The Bible is so... It's so good to us. Amen. I, don't, I don't know if you get excited about leftover resurrection power, but I need it. I need it and I want it. And to read that, just got so excited. Can you imagine a knock at the door? That is not that is not Papa John's delivering. <laughs> you know, that is Noah. Right. And how? Just leftover power. 
from the God of heaven to raise a dead physical body of the Lord Jesus Christ in its body. Acts 15, you know what it is? The only inspired church council the world's ever had that we know about. The Roman Catholics claim many church councils through the years. You can Wikipedia them and find out all about the different years that they had church councils and the things they decided. But this is a church council that took place around 50 A.D., 30, 45 A.D. The Apostle Paul instigated it because some teachers came from Jerusalem to Antioch of Syria, 300 miles or so, preaching that the Gentile converts needed to keep the law of Moses, be circumcised in order to be saved. Paul had no small dissension with them. That's the opposite of hyperbole. That means there was some real fighting going on in Antioch. Because Paul was not going to listen to such garbage coming out of Jerusalem. So he and Barnabas made the 300-mile trek down to Jerusalem. All the apostles and elders came together. They heard about the conversion of the Gentiles. And then James says, Men and brethren, this is the fulfillment of Amos. God is raising up again the tabernacle of David, and he's doing with Gentile converts. How in the world can we lay any burden upon them that we and our fathers were unable to keep? Let's just give them a few things to do to avoid offending the Jews. And so they talk about meat offered to idols, strangled meat, blood, and fornication. They did not want those Gentiles to be doing things that would offend the Jews in their city that had been converted. Because the Jews were still keeping those things and those things were still being taught by the Jews. Let me tell you how temporary this was. Paul undid it in about 10 or 15 years. Because when I go to 1 Corinthians 8 and 10, he's telling the Corinthians that they can go ahead and take some meat offered to idols. Didn't he? Didn't he? You know he did. That was just that was just to make the Jews feel good for a while because they were really upset. Because they were Moses was still being taught in a synagogue in every one of those cities, and the Gentiles could show just a little favor toward Christian liberty. By just avoiding eating strangled meat, you know, would you please not hang your, your hog in the front, in the front yard without slicing its throat? Cut it. Don't just strangle it. Don't eat the blood. Just please. This is James. That council doesn't say a word about circumcision. There's nothing, not a word said about circumcision. Do you know why? Circumcision wasn't a requirement for the Gentile converts. It didn't say a thing about the Sabbath. Sabbath wasn't a, wasn't a commandment for the Gentiles. It just brings up these little items that they were supposed to do to avoid offending the Jews. Consider Paul's rule about evangelism. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. To those that are under the law, I became as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. To those that are without law, I became without law that I might gain them without law. Though I was not without law to God. He says that he puts that in there. That's what he's doing. That's what they're doing at the Council of Jerusalem. And they said they put it in a letter. And we have the letter from beginning to end. And it's carried by Judas and Silas and Paul and Barnabas back to the church at Antioch. And there was much rejoicing there when they ripped open this letter from the apostles and elders of the church at Jerusalem. Here's all you've got to do, Gentiles. Would you, would you show us a little favor by doing these things? Look at Acts 21. I haven't gone to a new point. So I'm still an honest man. I said Acts 15 was the last one. Acts 21 is their opinion of what they did in Acts 15. Oh, thank you, Lord. Acts 21. Paul, Paul, this is many years later, 
Paul has traveled to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem. The apostles rejoice at what great things the Lord had done among the Gentiles through him. And they tell him, and this is in verse 20, they tell him, Paul, look at how many thousands of Jews there are that believe. They have heard a rumor that everywhere you go, you tell the Jews, the Jews, not to keep the law of Moses. They're going to hear that you're here in town. They're going to come together because they want to meet the man that is going around and telling Jews not to keep the law of Moses at all. Would you do us a favor? we got four men that are taking a vow in the temple right now. Would you go in and join them so that they can see that you'll keep something from the law of Moses? Would you do that for us? What do you think Paul would do? Sure, no problem. Uh, to those that are under the law, I became as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. Here's the verse I want. After that, to give you the context, verse 25. Here are the apostles that are begging for him to do something toward the law. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing. Save only, save only, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. Nothing about the Sabbath, nothing about circumcision. To the Gentiles that believe, we have written and concluded that they don't have to keep no such thing. Thank you, Lord. This is the truth. There's so much more that can be said. It's enough that's been said. Noble Bereans say that's the truth of God's Word. I can read it. I can see it. It's Pauline. It's apostolic. It's New Testament. It's the truth of God. I can see the Sabbath. It's Old Testament. It's Moses. It's law. It's for Israel only as a nation. It's the truth. A Berean can say that. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.